Boy, when she said help Robert Marshall, she meant right now, didn't she? <laughs> Wasn't aware of that. I'm glad to be able to be with you guys again today. It's always good to be here with you. And um, how do you like the snow? <laughs> Welcome to winter, huh? As if on cue. But it's, it's a beautiful place to be able to live, isn't it? Um, you know, you guys, you guys have a lot of really good things going on here, and I'm really thankful for you. you, you I want to encourage you. Don't you get worried. Don't, don't get distracted. God has good things, and um, he's doing good things through you guys, uh, whether you have someone here as a lead pastor or not. So we just trust Jesus. Amen? Each one of us is called to pastor the people around us just to care whether they live or die. Amen? And so we, we're just going to be kind and gracious. And the Bible says, Acts 10, 31, that Jesus went, went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. What if we just did that? That'd be pretty good, wouldn't it? See somebody in the store that's having a tough time, pray for them. They don't have to know you're praying for them. You got friends that are having a downtime, put your arm around their shoulder and just let them know, I care about you. How can I pray for you? And let's be gracious to one another. You guys are doing a great job. We're in John chapter 14 this morning and... John chapters 14, 15, and 16, it's the night before Jesus' crucifixion, and um, this, as you go through these chapters, I encourage you to look for what he says about the Holy Spirit, because this is the first time Jesus has taught them anything about the Holy Spirit. He hadn't taught them about the Holy Spirit up until now, because why? Didn't need to. Why did they not need to? Because he was with them. He was there. Now he's about to leave, and he's going to send another, another of the exact same order, another comforter. And so as you're going through these chapters, look for what he says the Holy Spirit is going to do, and then let's make certain that we're submitting to that, to the work of the Holy Spirit, that work in our lives as you go through these things. It's really a, a very cool passage. And so look for those. Now, it's interesting. What has happened the week prior? What happened the Sunday prior to this, to this passage. What do we call that Sunday? Palm Sunday. What happened on Palm Sunday? Jesus came in on a, on a mule, on a donkey, and the disciples think that he has come into Jerusalem to do what? To free them, to establish a kingdom, to set up his reign. And now he's talking about going away? Can you, can you imagine how confused these guys might have been. And it's understandable their confusion, right? We have in John 14, 4, and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? We don't know what you're talking about. We thought we were here. Where, if this isn't the here, where is the where, you know? And you have two things that we're dealing with here. You have the who, I mean, you have the way and the where. And Thomas, poor slob, he gets, he gets so much grief because he just says what everybody else is thinking because everybody's thinking. We have arrived. We're here. It's time for the, the celebration. We're going to establish the kingdom. And now he's talking about, you know, the way to where I'm going. I thought we had seen where you were going. And Thomas is the one. What, what is Thomas famous for? Yeah, that's his name, isn't it? <clears throat> um. He's the one who said, unless I see the nail marks in his hand, unless I put my hand into the, the side, I will not believe. And so we call him Doubting Promise, Thomas. Um, was his doubting really that unreasonable? 
Was it totally? Would you have doubted? Would they call you doubting whoever you are? You know who the first person to declare the lordship of Jesus Christ was? When Jesus appeared to the disciples and he told Thomas, here, put your hand in my hand, put your hand in my side. Did Jesus put his, did Thomas put his hand in the hand or the side of Jesus? No, he did not. And what was the first thing that Thomas said? What? My Lord and my God. Who was the first person to declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Thomas was. Isn't that amazing? And all the disciples, they went all over the world, right? Do you know who went the farthest with the gospel? Do you know who took the gospel farther than any of the other disciples? Thomas. He died on St. Thomas Mountain. Isn't that weird? He died on a mountain that had the same name as him. I thought that was kind of weird. That's kind of like Lou Gehrig disease. His parents should have seen that one coming. You know what I mean? But he's buried... I know, it just comes out sometimes. Thomas took the gospel farther than any of the other disciples. He took it to probably Sri Lanka first, and then looped back a little bit west and took it to India and was martyred in Chennai, India, which is where his bones are uh, buried. But he, was, he died for the gospel in India. And we, all, we get, all we can say about Thomas is, yeah, poor slob, he, he doubted. You would have too. I would have too. Let's just be honest. Just for a second, we don't have to tell anybody past this room. But yeah, we would have too, Right? And yet, man, he was the first to confess. And in all fairness, Jesus does kind of start this conversation in what seems like the middle of a paragraph, right? And you know the way to where I'm going. Like I said, they thought they were already where they were going. We thought you were coming here for the purpose of setting up the kingdom. And so, Lord, we do not know where you are going because they thought they were already there. And we have two things. You know the way to where I'm going. We have the way and the where. And first off, what is the way? What does Jesus tell him is the way? He is. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now think about that. Isn't that amazing? Wherever you're going, Jesus is the way to get where we need to be. He is the way. This, always this, this is actually the Sunday school answer. Who is the way? You heard, um, you're, I might have told you here, I don't know, I preached so many different places, I forget where I told what, but the Sunday school teacher said, what's small and gray and has a long fluffy tail? And the kid said, well, I know the answer is Jesus, but that sounds like a squirrel. In this case, the answer is Jesus. Who is the way? It's Jesus. He is the truth. Did you know, did you know that No matter where you hear truth from, the origin, the fountainhead, the source of that truth is Jesus. Friends, he left truth laying about the the ground in the Garden of Eden just like he did Ambien and Butterfingers. Nobody came up with those. Jesus invented Butterfinger and all we did was pick it up off the floor of the Garden of Eden and we enjoyed it and he left truth lying about. And anybody who comes up with any kind of truth, whether they know it or not, who did they get it from? Because he is not the franchise of truth. He's not a distributor of truth. He is the source of truth. All truth comes from him. Well, I read something in Buddhist literature. Doesn't matter. They got it from Jesus. Whether they know it or not. And it is, inv- is Jesus' invitation to them to come to me. 
If you want to find truth, if you want to pursue truth, keep looking for it. You'll find that that trail always leads back to Jesus. And friends, he is the life. He is the giver of life. He is the creator of life. He is the liver of life. He is the resurrection of life. And he is the possessor of eternal life. But they're still confused because he's talking about aware. You got a way, but what is the where? Jesus said, the way, you know the way and you know where I'm going. What is the where? Hmm? No one comes to what? The Father except by me. Friends, the Father is the where. What they were looking for was a kingdom. And Jesus says, I, I want to have you back in a relationship with the Father. Now, Jesus is the only way to the Father. Someone said, well, but there are a thousand ways to Jesus. Jesus is going to reveal himself, introduce himself, manifest himself any way necessary possible to get people to recognize him. But he is the only way back to the Father. And Jesus is obsessed with the Father. All of his ministry is talking about the Father. How did he teach us to pray? What are the first two words? He wants us back into a relationship with the one who loves us most, who looks at us and said, man, I created you for the purpose of relationship. And when we saw that there was a possibility of relationship or a fruit, which did we go with? Now, see, I'm not tempted by fruit. I'm tempted by M&Ms, okay? Peanut M&Ms preferably, right? That tree would have been covered with M&Ms for me. And we look at it. How often do you look at somebody else's sin and say, well, at least I didn't do that? At least I'm not as bad as that guy. At least I didn't, I'm not Cain who went killing his brother Abel, right? What is it that God has kicked out of the garden? Taking a bite out of a fruit. See, now, that's just all for, for all of you health food lovers. Just remember, that's what got us in trouble in the first place. It's something so simple as... What was behind the eating the fruit? Is it that they ate a fruit or is there something behind that? Is it that God said, now don't go doing that. And we looked at him and said, God, fruit, God or fruit. And we picked every one of us have. Every one of us has said, I want to go my way more than your way. And it cost us our relationship with the Father. It cost us fellowship. It cost us communion in the garden with Him. We had to be kicked out. For our own protection, He kicked us out. Because if we had come to the tree of life and eaten of that, we'd have lived forever in sin. He did us a favor by kicking us out and setting those angels at the corner of the Garden of Eden so we couldn't get back in. Jesus is obsessed with the Father. And here's the, here's the where. His presence of the Father. Now, for those of you who grew up with a good father figure, man, you've been blessed. You've been blessed. I don't care how good your father figure was, though he wasn't as good as the Father. <laughs> he wasn't as good as the Father Jesus has taken us back to. For those of us who, for those of us in this room who grew up with a, not a great father figure, it, it could be tempting for some to say, I've already had me one of them. I don't need another one. But friends, I don't care how good or bad your father figure was. None of them's as good. None of them are as good as the father who loves you. The father who sent Jesus to reveal himself, to reveal himself through Jesus to you, the father of love. And we look at it and we go, well, well, he's just some old angry white guy with a long gray beard and he's mad all the time. Well, 
I'm not going to take that personally. And I really don't think he does either. We, don't, we should not allow the Simpsons to regulate our thinking about who God is. Just this big, long, gray-haired, beard, gray-bearded guy. No. Man, he's the one who loves us. Well, he's so mean in the Old Testament. <laughs> let's, look at, let's flip that around a little bit. Well, he, killed, he destroyed all the people, all the Canaanites. You know what? He gave them 400 years to repent. What do you want for nothing? How long do you count to your kids in the grocery store? One, two, two and three quarter. Jesus counted to 430 years. And Genesis 15, 16 says, And the sins of the Amorites are not yet full. Come, you can't have this land yet. I'm giving them 400 years to repent. What do you want? Oh, but he's so angry. No, he's really a God of love. When you look at it from the other side round. And Jesus came to let us know. This one who loves you, he is calling you back into a relationship with him. He is the father who, when he sees us coming down the road, the Bible says that the, the father and the prodigal son in Luke, Luke 15, he says, when he saw him a long way off. Isn't that something? The daddy was sitting out on the front porch waiting for that boy to round that corner down there. And when he saw the boy coming home, what did he do? He went and ran to the son. He didn't wait for the son to get here, and he wasn't standing there patting his foot. It's about time you got here. It's about time you recognize I was right. No, he went running to the son. He went running to every one of us and said, I'm so glad you've come home. And when we come to him in our repentance and say, God, I've really blown it. I've just, I'm, I'm so sorry for everything that I've done. He's not nah, stop right there. You got it. He, you know, the son had rehearsed the speech. I want to just come back as a servant. Let me just serve. Let me just, let me just serve you. Let me be one of your slaves. He never got to say it to the father. The father cut him off. Heard the, he heard, heard the sorrow. He heard the repentance. Done. Let's get this kid a, some clothes. Get him a ring. Get, some, get him some shoes. Let's get this fatted calf going. I've been saving it for this kid coming home. And here he is. And friends, that's how, that's how the father is when you come around the corner. We say, oh, I'm just so scared to come. No, don't be scared to come to this father. He's so kind. He's so good. He's so loving. He's so welcoming. And he sees you coming from a long way off and runs to meet you. The Bible says they fell on each other. And he welcomed them into his house. I am the way. <clears throat> to the back to the presence of the father who loves you endlessly. Look at what he says there in verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and, that is, and it is enough for us. Jesus said, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Friends, when you have seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. When you have experienced the love of Jesus... You have been loved on by the Father. And if it, if it is in Jesus, it is the exact representation of the Father because, listen to what he said, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the exact imprint of the Father. Anything that you see in Jesus is in the Father. We cannot look at Jesus and say, well, he's a nice guy. He loves me, and I get that, but that Father, man, I don't know. No, if you see it in Jesus, he is the exact representation in Colossians 1.15. In Colossians 1.19, in him all the fullness of the Godhead was pleased to dwell. Everything about God is in Jesus. 
In Hebrews 1.3, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Friends, we cannot separate them. Anything we see in Jesus is in the Father also because they are so united in who they are. If you see goodness in Jesus, it is the exact representation of the Father. If you see generosity in Jesus, it is the exact representation of the Father. Anything you see in Jesus is the representation of the Father. And look what he said in verse 10. Look what he said in verse 10. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Look, he is telling disciples who have been with him for over three years, you have seen everything I've done. Do you not recognize this is beyond me? Friends, anything that we are able to accomplish for the kingdom, it's not because of us. It's something beyond us. It's because of who is dwelling inside of you. There's a Sunday school answer again. Somebody give it to me. There you go. Who is dwelling inside of you? And anything that we accomplish for the kingdom, man, it's not because of our goodness. It's not because of our ability, our smarts, our education, our good looks, our finances, anything. It's because just like Jesus relied on the Father, it's Him doing His works in me. And friends, he, He's working through you guys in ways that you might not even recognize yet. But look at the complete dependence that Jesus says, believe on account of the works themselves. In John 5, Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees. Prove to us who you are. He said, well, I can give you my testimony. That won't do any good because my testimony doesn't count in a court of law. But let me give you some other testimonies. Look at what he says there in John 5, 33. You sent to John. John who? John the Baptist. And what did he do? <clears throat> he bore witness to the truth. He bore witness of me. When I came over that hill, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. That's the one who takes away the sins of the whore. You sent people to John asking him, are you the Christ? No, it's not me. It's that guy over there. He bore witness to me. He didn't believe him. Look at what he says in John 5, <clears throat> sorry, 36. The very works that I am doing, they bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Look at all the miracles. How many of you guys have raised anybody from the dead in the past few days? Kind of difficult to pull that one off, isn't it? It was done through me, not because of me, but because of my Father who's inside me. It's His works working through me. So I got the works that bear witness. Look in 537, the Father who sent me has Himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. But you heard his voice that day he was baptized. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Do you know, <clears throat> when did the father say he was pleased with Jesus in relation to the ministry of Jesus? Jesus at the baptism, the father said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. How many miracles had Jesus done up to that time? How many sermons had Jesus preached up to that time? How many people had Jesus led to Jesus up to that time? It's kind of funny. But how many, how many folks? Jesus, the, Jesus heard the Father say, This is my Son, in Him I'm well pleased, before Jesus did anything to earn it. Is He pleased with you? Is He pleased with you? Are you hoping that He'll be pleased with you if you do enough things to prove yourself pleasurable? Or is He pleased with you when you wake up in the morning before you do anything for him. That's, a, that's an amazing truth, friends. He is pleased with you. And the father's born witness. Didn't listen to him. 
And then lastly, in 539, it says, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness of me. What do you want? I've, given, I've just given you four witnesses right here. John, the works, the Father, and the scripture. All of them bear witness to me. You're not listening to any of them. And he comes to his disciples here on this last night. And I wonder if he looked at them with some exasperation. I wonder if he looks at us with some exasperation. What do I, what, what do I, what do I got to do for you, man? You've been with me for three and a half years, and you've seen everything that I've done, and you still doubt, you still wonder, you still don't know that when you see me, you've seen the Father? That passage in John 5 is talking to the religious leaders who demanded proof. How much more, friends, we have walked with Jesus. How many years have you walked with Jesus? Yeah, when we see him, we have seen the Father. And just like Jesus has believed in the Father, just like the Father is resonant in the very life of Jesus, in the same way, listen to what he says, anyone who is as committed to Jesus as Jesus is to the Father, look in verse 12, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. How many of you have ever asked something in Jesus' name and didn't get it? Come on. It's okay. You know what? We take this passage... And we use it as our, as our secret little amulet. We use it as our magic lantern to rub. That if I say in Jesus' name with enough emphasis, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, then he's got to hear me. I, knew, I met this woman one time who was mad at God, had served him for years, but she'd given up on serving God because her grandma had died. That's a bummer. I've lost two grandmothers not a fun thing but she had asked God not to let her grandmother die and she asked in Jesus name all bold all caps and the grandma still died and so she was mad at God and wasn't going to serve God anymore and I said well I'm really sorry about that I do understand how it feels not to have prayers answered the way we want them answered how old was your grandmother how do you think her grandma was 95 it's like, let the woman die. <laughs> you know? Holy cow, did she not want to go home? You think she didn't want to go home? And you're mad at God because he did not break the law that if you, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. He did not suspend that law for your grandmother and now you're not going to serve Jesus anymore? Does that make sense? And yet how many times have we done the exact same thing that he didn't give me the Lamborghini that I prayed for in Jesus' name? And I think it'd be a really good thing for me to have a Lamborghini because it would show people just how generous God really is. God is for your glory, right? Uh, maybe not. He said I could have anything I asked for in his name. So we stick it on the ends of our prayers as if some open sesame magic wand and then get frustrated but we forget what he said in Matthew 6 and when you pray do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do for they think that they will be heard for their many words 
How many times have we thought, if I just worship hard enough, if I just pray hard enough, if I study hard enough, if I dance hard enough, if I slash myself enough, if I do whatever it takes to get the attention of the Baals, that's what they did with Elijah on the mountain, isn't it? And yet they didn't hear. If I just do enough, then God will finally hear me. But we forget what he said in James 4. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. You want to spend it on your own passions. Friends, we can't take this passage in John 14 and lift it out of its context, which we're going to look at in just a minute, and say, well, this is true for all believers in all situations. Because the reality is when I'm asking for my own passions, he's not impressed. The reason that the Father did everything that Jesus asked him to do was because Jesus was so wrapped up in the Father that he would never ask anything that didn't give the Father complete glory. Well, if I just had that Lamborghini, it'd be so amazing to show people. How about I change life? Well, if I had that swimming pool in my backyard, then I would let the church use it for baptismal services. We need a baptistry, and I wouldn't charge them much at all. God, I just need the credit card paid off. If you could just send me a little bit more money to pay off that credit card debt that I got into buying myself, things make me look superior and feel superior and act superior. But it's all for the glory of Jesus. No, we're spending it for our own passions. And the context, look at the context of verses 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. The context of that is verse 10. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Everything that Jesus did, everything he asked for was based in the this beginning foundation of everything is for the Father. It's the Father who gets all the glory. And when you can say, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work with as much purity of heart as Jesus said them, <clears throat> then you can ask for anything and you'll get it. Well, finally, I'll get my Lamborghini. Jesus didn't get a Lamborghini. Now, he got a brand new model. That day going into Jerusalem, he got a brand new model. He didn't keep it long. And friends, when we say with the same purity of heart, that Jesus said in John 5, 19, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. When we can say with the same purity of heart in John 8, 28, I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. When we can say with the same purity of heart as John 8, 29, and he's, he who sent me is with me, he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Can you say that about your past week? Everything you've done has been pleasing to the Father? We get, man, we got to take this thing in context. John 12, 49, I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who has sent me 
has himself given me a commandment. When Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda, how many sick folks were there? How many sick folks? Do you know? Neither anybody else. There were a bunch of them. Didn't matter. How many did Jesus heal? Jonas Salk is the guy who discovered the cure for polio. When he, when he discovered that, he was legally bound to make that available to the world. Now, he could have sold the world, sold it, and been a billionaire. Instead, he gave it to the world. If he had not done that, he had been criminally liable for every polio infection that happened after the discovery of it. Why was Jesus not criminally liable for every person at the pool of Bethesda who he did not heal? Why did he only heal one person at the pool of Bethesda? Why? His statement was, I don't do anything unless the Father tells me to do it. Well, that's not very nice. I don't do anything. Unless the Father tells me to do it. Well, I would have done better. And we have just set ourselves up as idols, as smarter than God. Because anytime I say, well, I would have done it this way, we have just let the world know I think I'm smarter than God. Friends, Jesus, here are two words that are so important in my thinking. Jesus did everything and only. He did everything the Father told him to do and only what the Father told him to do. He did everything and only. And how many times have we, oh, we'll just leave that little spot off because, oh, that might not be the best for my reputation. And we, do, we, we go farther than what God tells us to do because, well, I want to make them think that I'm better than I am. Jesus did everything he was told to do. He did only what he was told to do. And friends, when we live in the same purity of heart with everything and only that Jesus lived in, then we will be in the context of this passage. <clears throat> John 12:50. His commandment is eternal life. Isn't that amazing? The Father commands eternal life. He looks at you and says, eternal life. I'm offering you eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me, and the word of the Jesus, the word of the Father in Jesus is the simple word, come. The Father, through the words of Jesus, says, come. And friends, when we have a, when we have a distorted perspective of the Father, <clears throat> we are the ones who lose out. We were, my wife Donna and I, we'd been married you know, three, four years. <clears throat> we just moved to Utah, and um, we, went to, we went to Vegas, you know, because you have to go to Vegas, I guess. This was, this was a long time ago. And we went to the Christian bookstore, but we had to go eat at Circus Circus, right? Somebody said, you have to go eat. Oh, it's just wonderful. It's the best institutional food you're going to have anywhere. It's industrial strength food. Anyway, so we went to Circus Circus, <clears throat> and we're standing on the balcony there in their game area, and I saw somebody down there below, and they were playing mole whacker, whack-a-mole. You know what I'm talking about? The mole sticks its head up out of the hole, and you're supposed to whap it with the little bunny whapper thing. I'm standing there and I'm watching this guy trying to beat that mole and I punch my wife and I say, that's how I feel God is with me. He's just waiting for me to stick my head out of a hole so he can whap me a good one. Now, what kind of relationship do you think that brought between me and the Father? How often, how often would you want to come into the presence of somebody who's standing there with a mallet? So, a few years later, our, one of our sons, three-year-old son, fell 12 feet landing on concrete. 
Took him to the hospital. They said, yeah, we don't know if he's going to live or not. Kidneys, yeah, okay, okay. But it didn't look good. They take him in to do surgery. And I stay with him that night in the hospital. And I'm praying all night long. You don't get much sleep. If you've ever been in that situation, you don't get much sleep. And all that would come to me, I said, God, why? This isn't funny, man. I, I'm just not enjoying this. Why, why, why? And, and all that would come to me was a, a portion of a passage I had heard Arthur Blessed preach a few weeks prior where he said, the passage, thou art good and doeth good. And that just kept coming all night over and night. Thou art good and doeth. Thou art good and doeth. I don't feel like this is good. This doesn't seem good, but thou art good and doeth good. So the next day I looked it up. Psalm 119, verse 68. <clears throat> thou art good and doeth good. Teach me thy statutes. And I went, oh my. Because that's the first time I realized that until we are right in our understanding of who God is, we will never understand His Word. Until our starting point is He is good and everything He does is good, we will never understand His Word. Now, with this as my starting point, now teach me thy statutes. And friends, I had to realize I've been waiting for Him to whap me on the head. That doesn't jibe with part one. Therefore, I must not rightly understand part two, which is his word. And so there, after having been a pastor and a really spiritual person for six years by that time, I had to go back to Genesis 1-1 and start reading the thing all over again from a completely different perspective. If he is good, then how is this act good? How do I find goodness in this place? And friends, it changed my whole perspective on how I read the Old Testament, how I read the New Testament, to find out that the Father really is good. He really, everything He does really is good. And now with that as my starting point, now teach me thy statutes. Teach me what you have for me. And friends, His invitation is come. Oh, I don't want to go to somebody holding a mallet. He ain't holding a mallet. <laughs> Never was holding a mallet. He's the one who through Jesus says come. If you're hurting, come. If you're lonely, come. If you're broken, come. If you're caught in the trap of things that you hate doing, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. <laughs> How many of you just want some rest? <laughs> Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and I'll, you will find rest for your soul. Because my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Friends, if it's hard and heavy, it ain't his. Because his yoke is easy and it's light. And the word of the Father is, come. Won't you come? That's the invitation through Jesus. Now, if you're here this morning, if you're watching this, listening to it sometime in the future, and you've never come to the Father, his word, his invitation to you is, won't you come? Just come home. Just come home. He's not sitting on the porch waiting for you to show up and he's going to be mad at you and he's going to punish you when you get, no, he's watching. He's watching, and when he sees you around that corner, he's running to you. And friends, he has run to us in the person of Jesus and said, won't you come? Won't you just come? You'll find the rest for your soul. Oh, I've tried coming to church before. And it didn't say come to church. It said come to the Father. Well, I've tried to work hard. It didn't say come work hard. He said come to the Father and get some rest. And it is as simple and as eternal as this. The realization, God, I've blown it. And I'm really sorry. 
have blamed everybody else, but Father, I'm the one who did it. I broke your law. I chose my way, and I'm really sorry about that. Would you please forgive me? I confess that Jesus is in charge. He is Lord. I'm going to give you my life. I'll do what you tell me to do. I'll go where you tell me to. I'll, I'll, I'll be as obedient as I possibly can be. God, I give you my life. Will you please save me? And friends, that fast, he'll change your life. There will be a change on the inside of you because Jesus shows up. And just like Jesus and the Father are, in, are one, now Jesus is going to live inside you. And you'll be one with him. And there's some of us here this morning who have known Jesus for a long time. We've walked with him for a long time, but maybe we have a skewed perspective of that father. <clears throat> maybe we're still looking at him as that old, old gray-haired, gray-bearded, mean guy in the sky. No, he's not, man. How many of you saw the snow coming in this morning? Wasn't that something? And you know who the father is? He's the one who sprinkled the tops of our mountains with snow as with confectioner sugar. And then he gave you the ability to look at it and go, <gasps> we were riding in. We were on a long trip this past week. We were riding in yesterday. The wind was blowing. We were on a motorcycle. Oh, holy night, the wind was blowing. And you look off to the east. <clears throat> look at the color up there. Isn't that amazing? My father did that. My father did that. And then he gave me the ability to see it. He gave me receptors in these eyeballs that are able to look at it and go, oh. and my wife and I were talking, look at that patch of red. Look at the, look at the yellow that's in it. Isn't that amazing? My father did that. And friends, if you've accepted Jesus, but you're still wondering about that, that father God, no. If you see it in Jesus, it's in the father. The love that you see in Jesus is in the Father. The generosity you see in Jesus is in the Father. When you come to Jesus, you're coming to the Father because he said, he said, I am the way back to the Father. Won't you come home? If you're here this morning like no more, to know more about what it means to accept Christ to be a Christian, there are going to be some folks up here in a few minutes who will be able to pray with you and share with you what God's Word, the Bible, has to say about how you can have a new life. But if you're here and you recognize, you know, I hadn't, haven't been respecting, appreciating, honoring the Father quite like I should. I've been distant from Him, and you just want to come home and tell Him I'm sorry about that. Then you do that too. He's, he's, he's waiting with open arms. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Father, that's how Jesus taught us to pray, is Father. Thank you. Thank you that you are the Abba Father. You're the Daddy. You're the, the, the one who holds us in such precious esteem. God, so far beyond anything that we can understand. We know us. How can you love us like you do? But God, you do. And so we just want to say thank you for that. And God, here's what I want to ask. This is in complete accordance with your will. Father, we can ask this in complete assurance that it's in Jesus' name. The work you began in us, continue it till the day of the Lord Jesus. The work you began in us, transform us into the very image of Christ. Father, make us look like Jesus. Father, the desire that we have in our heart that's contrary to yours, we're sorry. In a lot of cases, we don't even know it. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who's going to show it to us at the right time, the right place, so that the right work can be done to bring us back to you. Father, give us a pure heart so that we can say, along with Jesus, if the Father said it, I said it. 
did everything and only that he told me to do so that you receive all the glory in Jesus' name.